Hey listeners, welcome to the Alma Bay Spotlight's podcast. I'm your host Kalyan and on this show I will interview a diverse set of alumni relations and fundraising professionals that work at institutions of all types and sizes, not just the large popular ones you'll hear from at conferences. My aim is to bring people whose stories are more relatable so that their ideas are more actionable for you. This week I caught up with Bishop Alexander Director of Alumni Relations at University of North Alabama, a public university in Florence, Alabama. We talk about his diverse career choices that led him to be an advancement professional and his experiences as one so far. We also talk in depth about the importance of diversity and inclusion in alumni engagement programs and some interesting ideas for campaigns they've run recently. I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to Bishop's story and ideas as much as I did. Bishop, thank you so much for joining me on the Alma Bay Spotlights podcast. I'm so excited to learn more about you, your journey, your story, and your ideas today. Yes, and truly honored um, to be a part of this podcast, and um, just excited to um, start having this discussion. <laughs> awesome. Let's let's roll the years back, uh, Bishop, if you wouldn't mind. Where did you grow up? Which high school did you go to? Um, I went to, um, I graduated from Itawamba Agricultural High School in Fulton, Mississippi. Gotcha. And Fulton, Mississippi, is that where you grew up as well? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, it's in North Mississippi. It's a small town. Um, you know, we have one uh, gas station, well, actually not one gas station, but um, it's really a small, quaint <laughs> town. And, you know, there's really some great people there. And um, it kind of stops in time when you get the opportunity to go visit there. And so, uh, we're right on the river, and so a lot of my childhood memories um, were made there. Yeah. What do you What do you remember about uh, high school? Are there any memories that uh, you can recall? Um, I would say the most fondest memories was just the um, the fellowship that I've had. You know, that I had with um, our teachers, uh, my peers, and you know, I'm getting ready, actually getting ready for my 20th high school reunion, which is coming up in a few weeks. And so, wow, that's I'm really exciting! Just to get back to see my um, my peers, because we, you know. Pretty much when we graduated, uh, we kind of all went our separate ways. However, thanks to social media, you know, we've been able to keep up with each other over the years. But it will be an added blessing to be able to see each other in person. Yeah, it's awesome. 20th reunion for high school is amazing. Um, and then after that, um, you you went to Itawamba Community College for an associate's degree in pre-law studies. I did. Um, what what was the thought process? How did you make that choice? How did you decide that you would uh, study law? Well, actually, you know, I really wanted to go into a professional field that really helped people. But also, um, I was really drawn to um, the, um, the professional, the legal field. Uh, what really kind of, I guess, as most people will say, you know, what influenced me to choose that is I remember in fourth grade, uh, we had career day. And one of the um, one of the parents that came was an attorney. And just in his presentation, you know, from start to finish, you know, I kind of told myself, even at a young age, I think I could do that. And so um, <laughs> I just love defending people. You know, when it comes to like, I'm always that person in the group that, you know, I want to make sure that everybody fits in. And a lot of times, you know, um, I probably could argue with the wall. <laughs> and so, you know, I was thinking this might be the field that I need to go into. Plus, you know, I really wanted to make a difference. Um just in some way, form, or fashion through my life. And so that's one of the reasons why um, I chose pre-law. Wow, fourth grade. (laughs) 
So that was, that was pretty early uh, that you decided yes. to become a lawyer. At an early age. And I, was, <laughs> and I think about it, and I still remember um, that presentation, even though it was so, 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 so many years ago. That is, that's an amazing story. I mean, again, like we always talk about like how the dots connect eventually and, you know, how some of these early years in your childhood are so formative in, in the kind mm-hmm. of experiences Correct. that you want to create for yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, even in today's, you know, society, um, you know, just our our younger generation, I mean, they're growing up so fast and they're they're learning so quickly. So it just it's amazing to see just how um, even at fourth graders, how they develop even now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so after Itawamba Community College, you then went on to get a bachelor's degree in history, political science and government, and then a master's degree in criminal justice, both from University of North Alabama, which is where you work now. So, you know, clearly you loved that place. How did you pick UNA and, uh, you know, what were your best memories from university? Well, at the time, um, after I graduated high school, um, I I really wasn't too sure um, on where I wanted to go as far as a major university. And so luckily in my hometown um, of Fulton, Mississippi, uh, and let me kind of like back up. I was originally born in Iuka, Mississippi, but then, um, but I lived um, in Fulton, Mississippi. And that's where I grew up and graduated high school. But after high school, I went to Itawamba Community College, which was actually right down the road from where I live. Um, the campus was around at that time. They had around three to four thousand students, so it wasn't too big, wasn't too small. It was exactly what I needed um, to really develop over the next two years before I made my final decision of where I would um, go to a university. And so, with that being said, um, while I was at ICC, I had the opportunity to get involved on campus. Um, I had the opportunity to serve as student body president, and so you know, just being able to meet faculty and staff mentors there really kind of helped lay the foundation for my next step. And close to graduation, it was actually a semester before I graduated from ICC, I was still searching. Um, A lot of the colleges in Mississippi, I went and toured, but I just wasn't too sure about it. But then I had a couple of friends who were actually going to a Bible study at the University of North Alabama one night, and they invited me to attend. And from the minute I stepped on campus, I knew this was a place for me. Wasn't too familiar with the University of North Alabama because honestly, I was one of those. Um, if I didn't see it on television, like if I didn't see, you know, if I, if I, I assumed I said, well, this must be a private school because I haven't really heard too much more about it. But when I came on the campus, it was exactly what I was looking for. Um, not too small, not too big. You know, I, re- I really wanted to continue to stay involved um, as a student leader, but also get the get the best education that I could receive for my future endeavors and. A year later, ended up uh, coming to UNA in fall of 2005. And I always tell people I never looked back, uh, meaning was able to get involved. I was also fortunate to serve as student body president at the University of Alabama as well. And so, but through that, um, it really helped me get involved, not only on campus, but also in the community. And being involved in the community really helped me, you know, make that next decision of, okay, this might be the place where I could hopefully start a professional career after graduation. And so through that, um, after graduation, um, a year later, um, I was able to get a job in the Office of Admissions. And for four and a half years, I had the opportunity to really represent my alma mater, you know, by going out, talking to prospective students about the University of Alabama, really sharing my story. But through that, I was able to um, just really learn a lot more about my institution, but also promote it in a great way 
but I also had the opportunity to meet alumni. And so after four and a half years, um, I had the opportunity to serve in a director role, which was the Presidential Mentors Academy. And that was mainly to help minority students um, get involved on campus, but also help provide them with leadership opportunities as well while funding their education. I was only in that role for a good six months before <laughs> the director role of alumni relations came available. And I really prayed about it, uh, really went to different people to, for, you know, for counsel and just really threw my name in the hat and really honestly, really wasn't expecting to get this job, but then I was offered the job. And so I've been serving here in this job faithfully since November 2018. And I really counted out it blessing because I'm able to talk to alumni from all walks of life and also find ways for them to connect back to the University of North Alabama in the best way that they want. Yeah, I think it's an amazing journey. One of the things that's interesting about your journey for me is that you studied political science, criminal justice, government. You were the president of the Student Government Association, like you said, at both the colleges you went to. You also had a brief stint with politics as a congressional aide. So I'm I'm really curious, like, what was the thought process in terms of like getting more into politics and involving yourself in the community, like you said, and how did the dots connect towards alumni relations eventually? Well, I, for one, I love politics. I tell people I could sit there and watch, I could watch CNN and Fox News all day long. I know for some people, wow. that's just <laughs> not their cup of tea. But a lot of it is just, you know, and, it, and people always say, okay, what's the, you know, the real reason? A lot of it does with people, you know, it has to do with people. Um, I love helping people. I love being an advocate for people. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe one day in the near future, um, I hope to serve in public office. Um, and so I would say, you know, even through this role as director of alumni relations, it really is a, a great opportunity just to connect with people on their level, you know, really talking to our constituents, you know, finding out what works for them and then finding out ways that we can provide resources to help them. And so in a way, you know, my background in politics has really helped me um, learn more about how to better serve our alumni in my current role. But hopefully in the near future, um, I'm hoping to, you know, put my name in the hat for public office. And so and at the end of the day, I tell people, you know, I do what I do because I, for one, I love being around people and I love helping people just the way I was helped uh, long ago. That's amazing. I mean, the gift of uh, mentorship and I think, um, you know, what you also said about like really connecting with alumni, trying to understand, you know, how you can be helpful and resourceful as a university mm-hmm. and serving their, need, their needs is such an accurate description of a good alumni office. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Let's let's switch gears a little bit here. I know, uh, you know, you spoke about your current role briefly. So, you know, as Director of Alumni Relations at University of North Alabama, what are your top priorities at the moment? Actually, right now is alumni engagement, but also retention, meaning, you know, once we connect alumni back to campus, you know, how do we keep them involved? And a lot of that goes back to basically having those conversations of just asking the alumni, you know, how do you want to be connected back to your alma mater? You know, a lot of times is, you know, it could be financial, meaning they want to invest in a scholarship to really help a student on campus or students on campus. Um, sometimes it could be through the student-led organization they were a part of. Um, myself, you know, being a former student body president, I'm still passionate about student government. And so through that, I'm still able to help mentor SGA leaders, you know, really helping them kind of figure out what they want to do post-graduation. And so in a way, it kind of gives me the opportunity to stay involved 
while also giving back. And so in a way, that's actually what our main priority is right now, is just really expanding our footprint across the world and really finding those key alumni who at one time were UNA students themselves, but then also, you know, just really, you know, reaching out, saying hello, and then, of course, having that next conversation of helping them to say, okay, what would you like to do as far as reconnecting back to your alma mater before we kind of just tell you what we want you to do? And so a lot of times it's just customer service, being there to answer their questions, and then also, you know, letting them know that they are valued and also that we're that we're proud of them and what they're doing uh, post-graduation. So that's pretty much what our office, you know, we pretty much, our goal is to really work within that, um, that vision as well as that mission is to, for one, make it about people, but then also find ways that we can connect them back to the alma mater and vice versa. I love what you said there. I mean, one of the things that you reiterated a few times there is about really connecting with alumni and trying to understand mm-hmm. what they need before you sort of go on and talk about what the university needs. And, yes. you know, at Alma Base, we call this approach alumni-centric, right? Which mm-hmm. is rather than sort of saying, hey, as a university, here are the programs we have to offer. And we hope that as alumni, you find that useful. As opposed to that, if you go in with the approach of saying, let me figure out what my alumni really care about. And let me figure out whether I have the resources to be, you know, useful to my alumni and, you know, meet them where they are. So I, love that approach. That. I love that. Meet them right where they are. That's pretty much what we try. We strive to do daily is to, um, you know, figure out, you know, what they're passionate about. Because I've learned if they're passionate about it, then they're going to go above and beyond to carry out that um, mission. And, you know, a lot of times it's just figuring out, you know, if they're passionate about sports, then more likely they're probably going to want to be involved through their athletic program. If they're passionate about community service, you know, what are what are current community service groups on campus that we can connect them to? But also it gives alumni the opportunity to come back as mentors, to really connect with our students on campus and really kind of just provide them with some um, lessons that we've learned along the way. Yeah. And, and clearly you've, you know, thought about this quite a bit in terms of what makes a good alumni engagement function. And obviously, over the last one year or so, uh, you know, alumni relations, as we know it, has changed dramatically, right? So apart from the obvious shift from in-person to virtual events, what are some changes or shifts that you've observed? What do you think are big opportunities for alumni relations professionals going forward? I would say we go back to um, taking advantage of the of technology and its best, you know, taking advantage of the virtual method because especially for alumni offices who are really trying to engage alumni remotely, meaning you're really trying to get those alumni who are maybe live, who don't live within a 50 mile radius of the campus, but they might live, you know, halfway around the nation. I mean, how do you connect them back to the alma mater? And that's something that we learned a great deal um, last year during COVID when we were pretty much working virtually as well. Um, I would say that we actually had an increase of alumni who live, who live remotely get more involved. And it also, it was just amazing to see here alumni who were saying, you know, I live in Texas, but thank you for the opportunity to get involved because I really want to get involved with UNA, but I live so far away. But thank you for just using the power of technology because now we've found a way to stay connected. And so it really helped us really think outside the box. And I know for a lot of alumni offices out there, you know, you have your local alumni who are great at what they do, or you have those alums who are within a driving distance, but what about those alums who are um, who could really 
be a bigger, I would say a, a greater asset as well to the university for those who live around the world. I mean, and plus, because these men and women, I mean, just like your alums who live locally, you know, they also have uh, resources they can provide as well. And so in a way, you know, I always picture myself that if, it, if the, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, if I was that alum who lived, you know, h- halfway around the world, but yet my alma mater found a way to keep me connected. I mean, that would just really make me want to get more involved. But also I would, I feel, I would feel appreciated. Yeah. And just, so that's about making your programs more accessible to anyone, irrespective of where they are, right? Yes. Going forward, um, I'm, I'm, maybe this is a very broad question, but you know, if you were to look forward, let's say 10 years from now, what do you think alumni relations would look like? What would be different? Do you have any predictions? <laughs> I think uh, it would look as far as, um, and I'll throw this out, as far as diversity, I think we would see a different trend of, you wouldn't just see the same age or the same background in the office because for where we're going, I mean, in order to really have an effective alumni relations program, you've got to have representation from different areas. Now, I understand for some universities, you know, due to overhead costs and different things, you know, some offices are running on the skeleton crew, while others have, you know, over 100 employees. Um, I would say at the end of the day that you want to make sure that your office represents what your university is, because it makes it easier. It does. It makes it easier to have those conversations with those different groups that you're really trying to target if they can identify with somebody who's in their office. And if not, then you have to fight, you know, like for our office, we've had to find new innovative ways to get key alumni involved who, who necessarily, who represent those groups that are not represented in our staff. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And hmm. I think there is a strong uh, conversation, rightly so, you know, over the last 12 months or so to, to be able to improve diversity in, in not just the staff within the office, but also how we sort of make our programming more accessible, uh, you know, to everybody in the community. I agree because like, for example, you know, you have your young alumni, you have your alumni who are 50 and older, you have your alumni who are in, you know, between, let's say, their, you know, their 20s and 30s is, you know, I, I would say for the dream office, and that's those are these are things that you know that I'm striving to hopefully have in the office of alumni relations here in the near future, is to be able to have a young you know have a staff member who reaches out to a young alumni, and that's their main job 24 seven, or to have someone who represents the baby boomer generation. It's just that it really helps because for a lot of alumni offices like ours, I mean you you pretty much you reach out to the masses, and you do have to think out the box when you're planning events or when you're doing any type of alumni engagement, because you, you know, you're doing your best to make sure that everybody who comes feels appreciated. And so in a way, that's where your volunteers come in to kind of, they're the extension of what you hope to have one day. And so that's something that's, the, those are some of the things that we've been able to do is really involve our alumni volunteers a lot more to kind of help us as we target key groups to make sure that we're more inclusive. Yeah. I love what you're saying there because you know, in a, in a lot of ways, as leaders, the the teams that we build or the organizations that we create are, are, are a reflection of, you know, the principles that we believe in. And I connect back what you said earlier on in the episode about, you know, you were always the person that wanted to make everybody feel included. And that's that's truly what you're implementing here as well. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yes. Yeah, so and that's something that, you know, that we, because to me, it makes it, you know, you're you're able to hear different thoughts. Um, I've learned even just as, you know, as a leader, 
is, you know, when you have people around the table, you want to make sure that you have everybody around the table. And I will say I've been a part of, I mean, I've been involved in, in situations where, you know, my voice wasn't brought to the table, but yet I knew it should have been there. And, I, you know, and a lot of times it's just like, how do you, you know, for a lot of alumni professionals out there, sometimes you might get overlooked as an alumni professional, but so, but you have to continue to, to um, be an advocate for the alumni base, making sure that at, that, that at the institution that you're at, that anything, that any event, you know, that should have alumni, you know, alumni voice, you just want to, you want to make sure that you continually remind the administration that alumni are here and, and they're here to help. And so those are some of the things that, you know, I've had to tackle myself as well. It's just making sure that our voices are represented. But then also that when we do events, that we have all the right people around the table. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to forget that, you know, it's easy to overlook a group and say, well, you know, they're, they're going to come anyway. We don't know that, you know, and that's just kind of, you don't want to put all your, you know, your eggs in one basket, but I would encourage every alumni professional to listen to this podcast is that as you're planning your events this year, you know, really think about that audience, you know, making, you know, making sure that everything that you do, and it does take hard work. It does take a lot of time. It might, it might take some burning and midnight oil, but at the end of the day, you can walk away with a peace of mind knowing that you did strive your best to make sure that everybody was included versus just doing an event to satisfy one group. And sometimes, you know, depending on your audience, there might be events that you might have to do strategically for an audience, such as if you're trying to, you know, if you have a, if, you know, if a campus partner who's from the College of Business wants to do an event with you, then common sense wise, it, it's naturally, it would be, you know, it would make common sense to pretty much include only business alumni versus inviting someone who doesn't have a common interest. And so those are some of the things that we're, we're having, that we've had to have discussions on is, okay, why are we inviting this group, you know, versus inviting the masses? And usually inviting the masses might be for like homecoming or a huge event that you can invite alumni. So a lot of times I would say, you know, just even with COVID, it really taught us a lot about when we do events, you know, making sure that we have the right audience there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're trying to deliver value to your alumni, uh, you know, trying to be useful and resourceful, you obviously want to make sure that the right content uh, reaches the right people, right? Um, I'm really curious, what are some alumni engagement ideas that have really worked well for you, especially over the last 12 months or so? I would say our virtual events. Um, our virtual events have really helped us go from just having a virtual event where you have a speaker to basically having an alumni bingo night or an alumni, you know, we've had like DJ parties. I mean, we've had some really um, engaging uh, alumni virtual events, and it's really helped alumni really kind of, I would say, get out of their comfort zone, but also just the stories of hearing alumni say, you know what, I haven't been, you know, I haven't seen this person for 20 years. Thank you to the alumni office for just, for one, giving me a reason to get on another Zoom call, <laughs> but then also <laughs> making it not what I perceived it to be. And so that's something that we've always done is with, we, and I'm all about, I tell people I love feedback. I love surveys. You know, I never try, I never want to do an event and never go back and ask that audience, okay, what did you think about it? Because I've been in situations where people just plan events, but they never really go back to ask people what they thought about it. They just assume the event went successful when you really don't know. Because to me, you know, and, my, and I tell people, this is my personal quote to myself, you're only as good as your last event, it is the best people who 
know how to network. The best people who know how to communicate are those who really go back to the drawing board, meaning they're not afraid, afraid to accept criticism from the outside source, meaning sure. they, they'll go beyond the planning committee to ask people who are not only of saying, you know, what did you think? And a lot of times those individuals are going to be going to be the most honest with you. And so feedback is really good, especially if you're trying to better what you're doing and be the best at it and to do it well. And so I would say overall, our virtual events have been really good because it's really helped us not only connect to the alumni remotely, but also it's really helped us improve the conversation, really get the discussions going. And so we're hoping to find ways to, when we go back to do an in-person events, to somehow still do those virtual events because, you know, it's just, it's just another way of connecting with your audience versus sticking to one way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to actually uh, save that quote. You're only as good as your last event. Um, is there a particular event where you've seen phenomenal success? One of the things that I try to do on this podcast as value for the listeners is maybe go into a little bit of detail with, with a particular idea in the hopes that, you know, other institutions could get, can get inspiration from it. Is there a particular event that you could talk about in terms of what you did and what kind of participation that you saw, et cetera? Okay, I would say homecoming. Um, our office here at the University of Alabama, um, our office works with campus partners to plan homecoming. And so, you know, of course, due to COVID, you know, we knew, you know, just having those discussions with our campus partners, we all knew that homecoming would not be the traditional homecoming that we're accustomed to where you have the masses coming in, you have the parade, football game, et cetera. Well, instead of that, we actually had to move our fall homecoming to the spring of this semester. And we hosted it. Uh, it was March, the um, the second week in March. Uh, the For the alumni coming in, it was March the 11th through the 14th. But for the students, their activities actually started on March 7th. I will say overall, um, this spring homecoming really taught us a lot because for a lot of the ideas that we actually wanted to do someday, because of the, I would say, not just the challenges that we were facing, we actually brought those ideas to the table and it worked out well. Like, for example, uh, we've always talked about doing pumping displays, which are actually, you see those at bigger universities, mainly through Greek life. Well, our student leaders, because we couldn't have a parade, they actually decided to do pumping displays. And it was actually really exciting because it really, for one, helped them do something other than what they were accustomed to, of just doing a float. We, you know, we talked about ways of, you know, getting faculty and staff more involved. Well, through this spring homecoming, we actually saw an increase of faculty and staff get more involved um, with the students. They got more involved, you know, coming out, seeing the different activities that were done outside. Uh, for our alumni who did come in, you know, we were able to um, traditionally in the past, we've done a homecoming banquet, which has had around an attendance of 200 or more. But due to COVID, you know, we really couldn't serve food because it was a safety matter. So we actually moved our banquet to our auditorium, which actually was the best idea ever because we recently renovated our auditorium on campus. And so the, the event was a lot more, to me, it elevated the event. It took it to the next level. Uh, we were able to have our uh, more participation from our university bands, um, our jazz band performed. Um, but actually starting with our president, him and the first lady, were just, um, they actually, we got feedback from them and they were just excited about it because for one, um, just in their words, they said, now this is the type of event that we're looking for because it took it to the next level. But it just, so overall, you know, spring homecoming really taught us a lot of basically that even when you're in a tight situation, um, anything is possible. 
you know, not to doubt yourself because usually in times like that, that's when the true leader in you comes forward. And so even though we were faced with different, you know, different type of challenges, we still came together as a committee and said, okay, what can we do with what we have? You know, how can we have a safe homecoming week despite not being able to do the major key events that we're, that we were accustomed to doing? And so overall, uh, from start to finish, um, it was a huge success. It really taught us to really think outside the box. And the reason why I say that is because it really taught us to sometimes go back and evaluate, you know, sometimes you have to go back and evaluate the events that you've always done and really ask yourself, you know, is this event, you know, we've done this event for the last 15, 20 years. Is it still drawing the audience? Is it still meeting the the goals? And if not, you know, it might this might be the time to create something new. And so out of that yeah. week, we were able to create new events and we're hoping to keep some of those events as we go back to our in-person. And so overall, I would say that was one of the events because it not only taught this office of trying new things, but it also helped our campus partners to see uh, new opportunities that they could be involved with as well. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. What What are your biggest challenges at the moment, Bishop? What What are you sort of most nervous about right now? <laughs> well, you know, hopefully, you know, the goal is to hopefully get back to uh, planning in-person events, um, you know, just having alumni back on campus. And, you know, we're still monitoring, the, you know, still monitoring the news. You know, I'm, I'm looking at different countries that are shutting down. And so, you know, to be honest, I mean, that's the biggest concern. However, you know, should things stay like they are, um, I will say I'm confident to know that we are prepared to continually doing virtual engagements, you know, and not really, you know, as I would say, the show must go on, but not because I, I've seen, because I, you know, what I guess I could say to alumni professionals who are listening to this is never say, you know, never say never, you know, even if you're in a tight space. And you're probably thinking, well, we can't do that. You never know until you try, because that's pretty much the way our office started out this time last year is we were thinking, OK, how could we still do what we're doing, even though we're not able to get out and see people? And thanks to technology, it really taught us that. And the thing about it is the technology for everyone around the world, it was always there. It's just that sometimes, you know, as, as people, as I've heard the old terminology, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, sometimes it should have been broke so that you could have fixed it. It's just that we just kind <laughs> of assume that, okay, well, this is the way things have always been going. It's going to go, you know, we've never had any problems. So we're, it just, and it, and it never really challenged you to get outside the, the sandbox. And so I would say in a way, the silver lining of COVID is it's really taught, to me, it's taught our office to really look beyond what you're doing and don't just settle for second best, but really strive to say, okay, how can we make this event better? You know, who can we bring to the table? You know, what are our pros? What are our cons? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I love that. I love that approach. Um, and and we're, we're getting to the end here. Uh, but before we wrap up, I have three rapid fire questions for you. Okay. What's one book that you would recommend to your peers in alumni relations? Well, the one book that I'd recommend, and it's no less, it's less than 100 pages is Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. Um, yeah. It's an amazing way that it deals with change and work in your life. It's exactly what we talked about. And so I'd recommend to every alumni professional, if you don't have this book, get it. It shouldn't take you maybe under an hour to read it. And I, I mean, it will help you as you're adjusting to what's going on right now. And so I will say I read this book a long time ago, 
But um, recently, I picked it up a few weeks ago, and I was thinking, you know what, this book is perfect timing for right now because it really kind of just it goes into detail. Um, and I don't want to give it away, but um, it's just a great way of helping anybody who's for, who's basically facing change. It's like, how do you deal with that in your life? How do you deal with that in family? How do you deal with the work and how do you keep it moving? So I'd recommend Who Boo My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. I've read that book uh, several years ago, actually. And so, yeah, oh, I yeah. definitely love that book. <laughs> and there's yeah. also another one. Um, I don't want to uh, put too many books out there, but um, it's by mm-hmm. a renowned pastor. Um, he's He's similar to Billy Graham. His name is T.D. Jakes. He just released a book called Don't Drop the Mic. And it's actually available in bookstores everywhere. But I'm reading that book now. And it mainly talks about communication for leaders. You know, how to communicate, especially during these um, relevant times. You know, how to be very careful with the words you say. But also, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so that'd be a second book that I recommend to alumni professionals. He's really, he's great at what he does. And it really will help you as you continue to communicate to your audience. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a very interesting recommendation. What advice would you give your own uh, 20-year-old self, Bishop? Um, I would say, um, you know, do it. My advice would be to do it afraid, you know, not to, for one, don't doubt yourself and know that everything that you need, um, you basically, is within you. And so that's pretty much what I go back and tell myself that at 20 years old, is to not be afraid, not to be afraid to step outside the box and just know you have a lot of people behind you supporting you the entire way and never let no, never let doubt and definitely never let a naysayer tell you what you can't do. Because a lot of times people <laughs> like that are the ones who haven't really achieved nothing and so they're going to find their way to keep you down. So I would say def- definitely ignore the naysayers but use their doubts as fuel to keep you going so that you'll never stop. That is amazing advice. I love that. What's the what's your favorite resource or software tool in this job in alumni relations? I mean, I do want to say that you know I see you contributing frequently on LinkedIn with with content, which is amazing. So thank you for doing that. What's what's your favorite resource or software tool in this job? Uh, well, I would say we use a lot of times. When you mean like software, you mean like as far as like what do like what does our, what does our office use? Or anything that you in in particular enjoy using or really like that you would recommend for uh, your peers? I would definitely recommend to our peers to really take advantage of LinkedIn. I know it is a social media, but for the audience that you're looking for, especially your you know your professionals, I'm learning. You know, our office is actually doing more finding ways to really um, communicate to that audience. But then also, you know. Looking at your other social media platforms like Facebook, LinkedIn, um, excuse me, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, even TikTok. Like um, there's so many ways of now to communicate to people from all walks of life. It's just a lot of it takes sitting down and really figuring out what audience are on those social media platforms. And when you identify those audience, you know, your messages might be different, but make sure that it's all saying the same thing. But then also, don't be afraid to bring in people who are experts in those areas because they're going to be honest with you. And I would say in our office, I have a great staff, uh, especially our young, our student workers who are social media gurus. And I mean, they've been able to help me really see the world in a whole new way through the different social media accounts. But then also, we use Blackbot as well as Razor's Edge to really find ways to keep up with our alumni, you know, their alumni profiles. But then also, you know, we're just looking at new software out there as well. And so I'm always open to hearing different proposals by different vendors. 
you know, just finding new ways to communicate because I'm learning, you know, sometimes it's so easy to get stuck doing something one way. And the next thing you know, you find yourself behind everybody else. And so I'm always just trying to find ways that our office can stay relevant with the times that are changing. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, I think those were all, you know, great advice and, you know, your journey is inspiring to me and I'm sure uh, our listeners will agree as well. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Bishop. Uh, Have a good one. Thank you. Same to you.